0: Welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the one and only Lee Taft. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a little bit of the highlights from last week, what's new and noteworthy in my world. And let's just start really, really simple. How come none of you told me how much work it is to take care of a puppy? I mean, I am constantly shocked. I like to think I'm pretty resilient. I'd like to think I am pretty optimistic, and I'm still both of those things, but man, this little guy is working me over right now. The best news in my case is he does sleep at night, because if he didn't sleep, if I was having to get up two or three times at night, I don't know what would happen. But man, this guy is a lot of work. I've had to totally rearrange my schedule, doing uh, a lot of work or as much work as I can from home, trying to figure out and plan my days to even greater lengths, where if I'm gonna go into the gym, when am I gonna get back home? You know, how long is he gonna be in the crate by himself? How often does he need to go out? So there is a lot of work that I'm learning and, you know, goes into taking care of a little puppy. And, you know, when I was growing up, we had tons of dogs, but again, it was a farm. So, you know, some of the dogs were inside, most of them were outside, so they would just go out and do their thing, and, and they were all older too. So they were potty trained, they were housebroken, whatever, and life was just a lot a lot easier back then. So definitely a lot of work, but Mr. Finn is super cute. He is just a ball of fun, loving energy. The kids love him. So very excited to uh just get into something resembling a routine down the line. Progress on the studio gym. So if you did not listen, a couple a couple weeks ago I mentioned that. I got the green light from Jess that I could take what was essentially just another playroom. If you've got kids, you know, like everything at some point turns into a playroom. But we had a playroom downstairs, just wasn't getting any action anymore. Kate had old stuff, like Matchbox stuff, which we're going to keep, but like Thomas the Tank Engine setups and all these things that he wasn't really using anymore. So this weekend we went in, cleaned it out. It's like 90% open now. So I'm really just waiting on my guy, Dave Turner, from Play. He is going to get me a quote for some install, get some rubber flooring in there, and I am gonna have an indoor home gym, which is really nice, especially in the summer. Not that it matters that it's indoors in the summer, but in the summer, when things get really busy with all the basketball guys, sometimes it's nice to just go, instead of going into the gym, going into iFast and crushing a workout, having a space right here at home where I can knock something out 20, 30 minutes. It's much more Spartan. Or utilitarian when it comes to that time of year, I'm not taking hour plus to get a, a session in, but very excited about that. And the other thing that's exciting about getting that set up is I am going to really be crushing the video content once that's set up. Because one of the issues right now is if I go into the gym and I want to shoot something, is Bill in his room in the purple room? Are there people on the gym floor? Do I have access to a whiteboard? Da 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 da. So very excited to get that set up hopefully i don't know in the next month or so i'll have that up and running it would really help I just need to set a deadline for myself now I'm thinking this through if i set a deadline we'll knock it out so very excited about that last week relaunched the complete coach certification very excited added like nine and a half maybe nine nine and a half hours of new course content in the form of a, a workshop so if you have not checked out the cert you've got all of the modules that break down coaching and cueing program design functional anatomy breathing there's all this information but one of the pieces of feedback that i got was people said this is great but you know you've got e demoing everything and he moves great so what do you do when somebody has a different body shape or they don't do this lift or exercise particularly well so that's basically what i did i brought in five trainers and we broke down all the lifts And we basically coached them up. I coached them up for two days and we dove in on squats and hinges and presses and pulls and core training exercises. And we talked about cues that you would use based on how people are shaped or how they move. We talked about picking the best exercise for people, again, based on how they move. So I think it really beefed up the course content and gave a ton of more information that will hopefully make anybody that purchased the cert that much better of a coach. So very excited to get that out. But at the same time, I think I'd be remiss if I said that the the cert this time around went quite as well as I would have expected. And the reason behind that I think is a, a couple of reasons in nature, but the overarching theme here, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is just it's, it's time for me to level up personally and professionally. And so if I'm being honest with myself and I look at where I'm at, I feel like I've done pretty well for myself, right? I create good content. I do a good job of, you know, I don't wanna say selling, right, but you have to sell in business. I think I do, I provide a great value for what I charge. So you know, whether it's online coaching, whether it's my mentees, the complete coach certification, I feel like you get massive value based on what you invest and it's my job and my goal to make it feel like you're getting five or 10 X what you invest based on our time and our work together. But at that same time, I feel like, okay, like, am I playing at a good level? Yes. But can I play at a higher level? I think so. In fact, I know so because, you know, there's a lot of things that I feel like I've been kind of like dipping my toe in the water, in, like the content game, right? And the videos, like I'm really passionate about video, not because I think <laughs> I'm particularly good looking or I have anything particularly groundbreaking to say, but I think I can do what a lot of people struggle with and I can make things that seem challenging or complex and I can make them easy to understand. Like that's kind of my thing. So that is something that I want to level up in in the future is, I man, I need to be putting out a video every single day, not like once or twice a week. I've got so many ideas, so many thoughts. Not to mention people like you that are hitting me up either through email, through social media and saying, hey, look, would you shoot a video on this or could you help break this down for me? So that's something I definitely want to do going forward. I want to level up on my content game. I want to level up where the certification is at. I just look at some of the bosses in our industry. You look at a guy like Joel Jameson or you look at the level of precision nutrition is at. Now, granted, PN is an entire team but that doesn't mean I can't be motivated by them and aspire to have my own content at that level or at that kind of quality. So anyway, just stuff that I've been thinking about things that I think you should always consider for yourself as well. You know, it's okay to be comfortable where you're at and to check that box and feel like, man, I'm, I'm in a good place right now. But I think at some point that comfort becomes stagnation. And I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I'm just looking forward to continue to grow and evolve make myself better, make the training space a little bit better, and at the end of the day, make you a little bit better. All right, so that's enough from me. I'm gonna stop talking now. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna jump into this awesome show with my guy, Lee Taft. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in, either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body, and others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders. And every one of them raves about how great Momentous Protein Shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentous is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentous out for yourself, head over to livemomentous.com forward slash Robertson and use the code Robertson20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you wanna try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Lee Taft is a speaker, consultant, and coach for people across the globe who wanna get faster. Whether it's working with high-level athletes or taking a staff and helping them take their speed game to the next level, Lee is a guy that can help you get there in record time. Since this is actually my fourth time having Lee on the show, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So we're going to do a hodgepodge episode and really jump around and touch on a bunch of different topics. We start by talking about speed development and the pros and cons of getting in the weight room and potentially getting too strong. We talk about training adults in the Gen Pop and things that you should consider putting into their programming. We talk about combines and combine training and why they shouldn't be your only evaluation tool. And last but not least, we talk about how Lee has continued to evolve as a coach over the years. Lee is always fun to catch up with, and I think you're really going to enjoy the pace and flow of this show. But enough for me. Let's do this. Lee, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you back on. For anyone that's either completely new to the game or somehow has never come across your work before, could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, first of all, thanks, Mike. I always look forward to uh, getting the email to be asked to be on again. It's always a highlight. Yes. But yeah, no, I, you know, I've, I've been in the profession for quite a while, started out as a teacher, phys ed teacher, and also coached. So I had I had the luxury of learning sports as a coach, as well as an athlete. But I was also kind of the de facto strength coach back then, because really nobody knew what they were doing. And I had some experience in it. And so I really got both ends of the spectrum. And then over time, I just kind of gradually, I still did some coaching up till just a couple years ago. And I still do some youth coaching of sports. but you know, it's graduated into just being into the performance and strength and conditioning world for a lot of time. And I think what I've really gotten to enjoy and embrace is coaching other coaches who have a passion as well. And not that I have all the answers, but when I get with people who are really interested and dive deep, it forces me to dive deep. So then I learn more. So it just kind of, its yeah, it's a real cool relationship.
0: I love it. I love it. And for those who are familiar with your work and kind of know what you do, what's new in your world, man? What have you been up to lately?
1: Yeah. Well, well. First, the the big news is our family. I'm gonna pack them up and move them down south. Yeah. I don't know if I'm getting smarter or just weaker because <laughs> I can't, I, I can't, I can't handle scraping ice anymore off my windows, and so we're gonna move down south to Florida, and it's kind of going full circle because a large part of my career started in 1991 when I was in Florida and as a strength coach down there. So yeah, so we're looking forward to that. And then uh, in terms of kind of business stuff and training stuff, just been doing and really kind of cultivating a, a deeper philosophy of how to educate others on the things that I do, really working hard on that, trying to really understand probably for the past three to five years, put a lot of time into neuroscience. Um, Just I've always, always enjoyed that back even when I was a teacher, but I didn't, I just didn't know how to go about it and, you know, gradually have learned how to learn it better. And, yep. uh, and that's the, you know, that's what it all is about. How do we learn? And that helps our athletes gain valuable information and, on how to do a skill. So, yeah. So that's been a big part.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, you know, you talk about moving to Florida. So my mom is originally from Florida uh-huh. and about four or five years ago, both my parents retire. You know, they moved down there. So I called my dad on his birthday this year. I was heading back to uh, our old house. They're getting ready to sell it. And so I call him. It's like 930 in the morning. And he's super gruff. He's not the most chatty guy right away anyways. But I'm just like, hey. He's like, hey, what do you need? I'm like, uh, it's your birthday. You know, I was going to call and say happy birthday. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of a shuffleboard game. Can uh, can we just talk later? I'm like, wow, if that's not like a 70 plus year old activity in Florida, I don't know what is. So
1: that's funny. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, so hopefully I don't call you in like a year and you're already playing shuffleboard. You know, hey, that's my
1: secret. I I didn't want to give it away, but it's (laughs) it's out now. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So like we talked about before, we've already had you on the show twice. You're one of the few people I've had on three times because I love your work. I love what you do. And I thought we've already dove deep into speed training. We've already taken a deep dive into program design. So I'd like to make this show a little bit more of a hodgepodge. And, you know, obviously we could start easy, but I don't want to start easy with you. I want to jump right in. (laughs) And what I want to talk about is something that I really feel a lot of people are talking about right now. How can strength training become detrimental to speed development?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great topic and we got a, it's funny because just recently I had posted something and it created a big buzz and a lot of interest and that's why I post things because then conversations come about and so strength training, it's really hard to find reasons that it's a detriment to speed but if we look at it in relation to the goal of sprinting is to be able to turn our legs over faster and to become better at the skill of it. If we prioritize prioritize strength training without making sure we're still working on the skill of sprinting, there can be some detriment to it because – when I gain certain amount of strength, as I get stronger and stronger and stronger, and many people are just big proponents of let's push it to the limits and get as strong right. as we can. Well, in order for me to be able to bench press or squat or let's just say powerlifting stuff, I'm gonna have to create some stability just to protect my joints, right? I can't be this lax gymnast type of joint structure and handle 500 pounds on a you know, on a bench press or a squat or a clean. I just, I need to have s- some stiffness. Well, that stiffness isn't always great great for certain aspects of sprinting now having said that in the closed chain mechanics of sprinting when my foot touches the ground i need co-contraction which creates stiffness which allows me to use the ground reaction forces better but while i'm in the air and i'm releasing my toe off the ground and that leg has to go from the back side to the front side and the front side leg has to go from the front to the back There is a coordination factor and often what happens is when we increase our levels of strength so much and we've created these neural pathways where co-contraction is critical, I don't necessarily want co-contraction when I'm trying to switch my limbs really, really fast and I'm trying to switch the different segments of one limb, so my femur and my tibia And the actions of those and the front and back sides of those, the muscles have to have the ability to produce a lot of force while the other side allows me to produce that force. And so sometimes this co-contraction can interfere with massive amounts of speed of the limbs. And how much? I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows because your amount is going to be different than my amount versus you saying... bolts amount right so we don't know but we do know we how much strength do i need once i've already reached a level of relative strength i like i'm phenomenal at moving so many meters per second my body weight if i keep going more am i going to enhance that i don't know maybe but i i I tend to think there might be a little bit of a limitation there. So, so I like getting people fired up on topics like this. And- <laughs> I love that. And it, it just
0: reminded me of, you know, Boo Schexnader came in a couple of years ago and spoke at our seminar. And one thing that, that Boo had mentioned was, you know, squatting up to a point can absolutely help make you faster. But beyond a point, it's negatively going to impact coordination and it's probably going to slow you down. So it was great to hear you say it. It was great to hear him say it. And it just, it makes you start to think, you know, can the weight room help us? Absolutely. But only up to a point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I can't remember who it is and it drives me nuts because I've had to use this example many times. I can't remember the woman's name, but she was either Russian or German or something. She was an elite sprinter many, many years ago. And she was world champion, you know, level, Olympic level. And she, in her early years, when she was young, she, she didn't perform really well. And they assessed her strength levels were too low. Mm -hmm. So she really got strong over that four year training period and ended up, I believe she ended up winning the world championships place pretty high in the Olympics. And then, and then she fell in love with strength training and the next four cycles did the same thing, but really went nuts with it. Right. And she reduced her time and form and her coaches and her, you know, summarize that she just reached and went beyond her potential for that much strength being a benefit, ended up hurting her. Yep. And so yeah, so I always remember that. And that was many, many years ago. So yeah, I just think it's a cool topic to to kick around.
0: I do too. And and I think you can appreciate the fact the longer you do this, that there's a lot of ways to roam. And like yeah. you said, everybody's gonna be individual, right? You need to see nothing else than Ben Johnson versus Carl Lewis on a track. See their different body shapes, how they produce force and realize, man, there's a lot of different ways you can get the job done. That's right. Absolutely. So kind of along those lines, how do you determine when or if someone needs to push up their strength game to actually get faster?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's. A, it's easier now than it used to be because we can test it. We can, you know, and I don't have a lot of technology, but I do have like a jump mat that I can use, and I have video analysis that I can use. And when an athlete is unable to hit the ground, and quickly stabilize and quickly get off the ground there's a good chance they're lacking some kind of strength, especially if we're seeing gravity win over. Like if gravity is forcing them to condense a lot into the ground versus staying extended. And sometimes you can see that with the naked eye on like a 12-year-old kid running who just is long, sure. big. Yeah, you can see it. It's a little harder to see with a college athlete that maybe we think should be running you know, faster than they are, but they're still pretty fast. So uh, a lot of times it's just putting them through various tests and it's also just let's see what do they have single leg double bilateral or unilateral leg strength yep. relative to their body weight not only that how quickly can they move that what what's their ratio of of you know overall power and elasticity can they move really really quick without relying just on muscular tension yep. sometimes we need the tendinous factors to be involved in myofascial which is so fast responsively so you know how quick are we there so you can you you can look at an athlete even doing a, a depth jump from say 20 inches and if they just can't get back off the ground probably a pretty good chance unless there's some kind of other issue going on you know if they don't have pain and they don't have over like internal rotation of their feet and knees and, you know, they're probably just lacking strength and then we can attack it from there.
0: Gotcha. That's a great, great point to build from. So one thing else, and we're going to kind of jump topics here, because like I said, we're hodgepodge. Yeah. Is that you've made a lot of posts lately about training for adults. And I thought that's such a unique viewpoint for you because I've always known you as a speed guy and as working with athletes. So I'm really interested, like what's prompt the new, what's prompted this new line of content?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, a lot of it came out because I have had a lot of people asking me
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I have for years and years. People ask me, so why don't you do stuff for uh, the adults and stuff? And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll get it out there. And then I just <laughs> never did. Right. And then, you know, obviously, you know, w- you know, watching both my parents who passed away many, many years ago and then having other family members as they've gotten older and other people that I've known. And then, Mike, when I first moved from Newcastle, which you remember, we yeah. used to live in Newcastle. When we moved here. It's got to be six years ago an hour, somewhere in that range. When I first moved here, one of my strategies, anytime I've ever moved is to get myself into a facility where I can quickly connect, make connections and network with people. Yep. So uh, probably two miles from me, there was a anytime fitness that was opening and it hadn't even opened yet. So I went up to him and said, Hey, yeah, I'm here. I'm looking, here's my resume. And they said, Oh yeah, we'd love to hire you. So I worked there. Well, what happened was we got a ton of 70 to 80 plus year old men and women that many of them had hip replacements knee replacements none of the trainers had a clue and they didn't (laughs) want to go near them right well i have had experience so i ended up working a lot with them and it really grew my passion for making sure these people are safe because some of them still wanted to try to golf. Yeah. Some of them just wanted to make sure they could walk safely and do things like that. So it kind of spurned that that urge to to want to help them again. Years ago, when I had my speed academies in New York, I did work with a lot of adults then. So it's I, it's not like I had not been doing it. I just didn't talk a lot about right. it. Right. It was, right. yeah. So, and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm 54 I'm getting at a stage now where I, I'm starting to look at like, gosh, if I lose my functionality and my ability to move, that affects me from a business standpoint because I travel a lot. I consult. I do two-day, five- to eight-hour seminars each day. And if I lose my ability to to move, you know, then that's going to be affected. So I think there's a combination of of things, but I'm really passionate about making sure adults just have ideas and stop being afraid of fitness. And because sometimes it can be, if they go online, they can be, holy shit, I can't do that. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Right. Right. So it's, yeah. So I'm trying to make them realize, Hey, these are the functional things that you can do and just turn them into some sets and reps doing your basic, daily movements. And now you got a little workout.
0: I love it. I love it. So when it comes to your adults or your gen pop clients, what are some pieces that you feel like are often missing from their training programs?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I think the ability to control their center of mass when their center of mass gets away from their base of support. That's mm-hmm. probably the number one thing. Now, you know this because I visited you guys uh, several years ago when I had a vertigo. Yeah, and, and I never having experienced that before, I could not, like I literally could not stay on my hands and knees. I would fall over, let alone standing up and falling over. So, Sometimes with blood pressure changes, just you know, a, maybe a lack of range of motion in dorsiflexion or their toes or hips or whatever it is, they can easily lose balance. Next thing you know, the center of mass shifts way out in front of them and they can't quite use their athletic ability to, to locomote and catch up. Yeah. So I'm really big on doing things that help. Maybe it's taking a medicine ball and putting it in front of my body, which automatically shifts my center of mass. And it's being able to take a short step and punch that medicine ball out in front, which now forces me to decelerate that. Simple, simple stuff like that. Making sure they can do those things. Certainly making sure they can squat through yeah. knee, hin- knee bend, hinge, and single leg, double leg, step up. Because many people, and this is sad to hear, but many adults, can no longer use their second level in their home because they cannot get upstairs or they're afraid to. And so making sure that they maintain that is really, really important in strategies that help them to be able to be functional in that way. And I posted a video today on on dips, but the, it wasn't to do dips. It was to use the support system to be able to push while you're using your legs to get up. And so, yeah. So I just think, man, the ability to squat, control your center of mass and your balance points, I think is really critical.
0: Yeah. And I've seen some of your videos too. It it helped, I feel like kind of substantiate stuff that I was saying a while back when, when I started talking about the R7 and I talked about, you know, look, everybody needs to train for power. And it looks different for everybody. And of course, you know, the Peanut Gallery says something like, well, you have your 80 year olds box jump. I mean, come on. Like, we're being realistic here. (laughs) But we have 80 year olds that play golf, right? So they are going to throw a med ball. And it may not look like the most beautiful, explosive expression of power. But yeah, we are going to do stuff that is explosive for them. And we're going to teach them to, you know, coordinate those segments and try and be as explosive as possible because. We all know that's one of the first things that you lose as you age as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, Thomas Myers even talked to us about losing your fascial crimp, mm. losing that, that when the tissue flattens out, the myofascial tissue flattens out, it no longer has, for lack of a better term, a spring effect. Oh, so okay. by, ju- by doing... You know some of the power exercises you were just talking about, or or maybe not necessarily having to jump rope, but just in place, maybe doing little baby bounces up and yeah. down, real light. In you can do that, holding on. It keeps the crimp in the system, and then it knows how to store and release energy better. And that's an awful thing to lose because if they they slip or they trip and they all of a sudden have to catch themselves, well, it isn't a graceful, smooth, long, controlled response. It's usually pretty violent, pretty quick, foot yeah. hits the ground. Everything has to decelerate. Well, the ability to do that is reliant on, have you been there and done that before? And if they haven't, a lot of times that uh, results in a fall.
0: For sure. Great stuff, man. Okay, so not only off the grid, but totally opposite end of the spectrum. We just finished up the NFL combine. So I would love to hear, what do you love and hate either about the NFL combine or probably in more general terms, combine testing in general?
1: yeah, yeah. that's always been a a big conversation point for a lot of people. and the the thing is, the drills and the exercises that they do, I think are great. they're They're excellent exercises, but because you can use them, like let's take the five, ten five. Yeah, it's a great way to get repetitions of a particular loading pattern, maybe that you're trying to correct in an athlete. or, Going back to an adult, maybe you just want to get them more athletic. But in terms of the athlete, it's a great pattern to be able to get repetitions on maybe teaching the foot to be able to get in and out of supination, pronation, and propulsion, and all these things, and body tilt, and reflexing and all this stuff. Really, really good stuff. But the issue that I have with the combine is – Saying that because somebody performed really well on that, they automatically are a better football player or basketball player or baseball player based on the combine you're doing. Right. Because the most important skill in any sport and in any position is the ability to read. When an athlete can read the situation – and, and evaluate it really quickly. And it often happens subconsciously because it happens so fast, but the more they're in those situations, the better they can actually use their athletic ability because they can perceive movements quicker. So the combine, when you, you tell me somebody runs a, you know, a four something in the the five ten five, or, you know, the 40 okay. I mean, I don't mind that. I right. think you could show other stuff, but But how much does the athlete have to read something or predict something might happen or respond to a situation and read angles? That's when on Sunday or, you know, if it's basketball, it could be any night of the week or whatever. You know, that's what's going to determine it. So I'm not opposed to the drills. The exercises are fine. But the context of saying – Mike, because you scored in the top one percent, you're now going to make forty million dollars versus the guy, the Tom Brady, who is sixth round. He's only going to get, you know, two hundred thousand. Well, back then or whatever, right? Because he he didn't he you know he didn't run very, and he's I think he's still finishing his four twenty years ago, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> but but you know who's going to argue? You know who's what a great. Athlete he became in terms of a quarterback, right? Right. So that's my point. I have no problem with the combine stuff. I just think don't evaluate them and say, yep, they're a better football player because they scored higher on the combine.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you were the guy I think that really turned me on to the concept of reactivity when I was starting to learn about speed. But the thing that you mentioned there that I don't want to gloss over is this concept of context because. This is something where now with some of my basketball guys, they'll say, hey, look, I'm struggling on defense. Can you watch this? And they're focused on like one piece of the play. But I know you and I have talked about this and I've seen yeah. you mention this numerous times. It's like, man, I just can't watch when you're on on the ball, right? I need to yeah. see how the entire play evolved. Like how did you end up in that situation in the first place? Because yeah. maybe, it, maybe it was, maybe you're just not playing great on the ball defense, but maybe you were in a bad position to start then you were forced to react, which puts you in a bad position. There's so many layers to this when you start to peel it back. It's really fascinating.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, that's it. It's and that goes back to that ability. Can you read the potential options that are in front of you? Because just because the point guard passed it to the wing, who happens to be my player, so now I went from help position to on-ball position. Well, what if? What if when that occurred? The post player is now going to set a ball screen on me. So how I close out based on the defensive call they're doing determines my position. Now, if I'm late and I'm lazy because i thought you know well the ball is not in my guy's hand so i don't have to work right now right. all of a sudden i'm out of position so yeah it's yep. all so so important And the, the the best players do the little things really really well and they're in position so they don't have to recover from a bad position
0: right i love it so as someone that has been doing this for quite some time now i'm really interested how have you changed or evolved as a coach in the past two to three years
1: You know, actually probably a lot of ways overall, I think I've gotten better at feedback because feedback is such an important role in my athletes being able to understand where we're going after that rep. So we just did a rep. Where do we go now? What do we do? And sometimes it's like saying nothing so that they don't become reliant on me. That's the last thing I want is I because if we if we buy into this reactive. The athlete reads and makes decisions based on what they read. The last thing I want is for them to become dependent on my feedback. So a lot of my feedback now is actually just not yesterday, but two days ago, I, you know, a young boy and I I do a lot with a video and then I'll say, okay, this is what I want you to do. Do this. And he does it. And I'll videotape it and we'll look at it. I'll say, what do you think? And he goes, oh yeah, I didn't realize I was way out of position there. So it's, it's kind of like what we call a summary feedback. Versus a directed feedback directed, I could say, Mike, you didn't have your arm here and your foot here and your leg here and your chin was here and this while you were running versus saying, Mike, what do you think? How did that feel? Right. You know, and also I would say probably the biggest thing that I've gotten better at is not picking on the one mistake you made out of six great reps. Right. Right. As a coach, what do we do? You know, an athlete goes and does six amazing reps and then they have one bad rep. And we're like, man, what are you thinking? That was awful, you know, <laughs> right. R- rather than just letting that one go, because that was the, you know, that was the one outlier. Yep. And, and then focusing on and so a little bit more feed forward. Let's yep. what are we going to do now? That's kind of I right. think where I've gotten much better.
0: I love that. And, you know, full well, like the longer you do this, if they did six great reps and they had one bad one, they know it, too. Oh, yeah. You don't have to give them feedback, oh. right? Like there's nothing worse as an athlete. If you think back to when you were an athlete, you're crushing it and then you have one bad rep and then the coach is all over. You're like, man, I know what I did wrong. I don't need more like negative feedback in that case.
1: That's right. It's like yelling at a fourth grader who missed a layup. Yeah. And and making sure everybody in the crowd hears you. Who feels yeah. worse than the kid who had a wide open layup and, and chunked it? Yeah. Nobody exactly. feels worse than that kid. But yeah as a coach, we got to say, come on, what are you doing? Missing a layup or make them run the next day because they, as a team, you missed 12 layups. So now you got to do 12 sprints or whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? Why don't you work on layups? Because they didn't miss sprints. They missed (laughs) layups.
0: (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. We'll have to trade stories because Kay just had his first year of basketball this year. So Mm. I was in a, I didn't want to be the full coach because that generally doesn't always go as well, but I figured I'll be an assistant. So we have some stories to catch <laughs> yeah. up on next time we see each other. All right, my guy, last but not least, we'll do our lightning round. So fairly yeah. short questions, but your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. So first and foremost, Great. Awesome. we're going to pull this one directly from your Twitter, t- Twitter timeline. Talk to me about the art of reading posts.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> and, that, and and I get it. I do get it. But I post a lot of things and people have to understand on Twitter, you can only say so many things, right? It's, right. You can't do like Facebook. You can go forever. So you post something and the misunderstanding of making a comment about a, a direct subject versus a philosophical statement. I'm not putting out my entire philosophy on training or the world. Right. I'm just simply saying, you know, like I posted on strength. I posted on when I was a kid. We had I had a lot of friends that were skinny, scrawny, but, man, they were lightning. And I had a lot of people that I competed against because back in my day, strength training was not really that prevalent. So, but everybody automatically says, I you know. Lee thinks, you know, strength training is not important. Well, you got to be able to read into a post. Like if Mike Robertson posts something on a particular topic, let's say mobility or assessment, Well, I've followed you enough, I know you enough to understand your philosophy and that you're throwing maybe a curveball in there and I have to respond to the words that you wrote, not your overall philosophical belief on a subject. That's what drives me nuts. So
0: (laughs) it's just funny because I I see some of the conversations that your posts start and it's very obvious that there are certain times where people read like a very small snippet of it and overreacted. Or they don't know anything about you and they just saw this one post and they assume that, oh, Lee Taft would never strength train his guys. It's like so (laughs) overblown. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other one is when you, you know, when you're in school and in the morning you told your best friend something and by lunchtime, it's a completely different subject because they told everybody else. And so if you look at my post at the end, everybody puts their own, it's almost like they've been waiting to get something off their chest. Yes, And that post gives them a chance to get it off their chest. I'm like, well, I didn't post on that. Read my post, what it is. So (laughs) yeah, it's (laughs) It's the internet,
0: my friend. It's the world we live in now. So (laughs) number two, I know you're doing a lot of consulting these days. And I'm intrigued because I think as I get older, this is something I would enjoy doing more. But what does a typical consulting day look like for you when a team or a club brings you in? What do you do?
1: Yeah. So uh, first of all when they ask us it's it's what are they looking for? Why do they want to bring me in? Is there a underlying issue that they're dealing with? Maybe it's just raw speed. Maybe it's coaching movement patterns. Maybe it's, you know, how do we how do we program because we get athletes twice a week for six weeks and that's it. How do we program for them? So it, it it depends on what they want. But typically when I come in, they're roughly six hours plus and I go through how we warm up based on – the multi-planar usage of the body and then how this speed that we're going to be integrating in the strength training that bolsters that this is how the warm-up applies to that stuff too Mm -hmm. and so then it just becomes step by step then we go into the different systems of the the seven movement patterns that we always focus on are linear so that's acceleration sprinting lateral shuffle and lateral run back pedaling or hip turn or vertical and yep. then we got all the variations of those. And then obviously the change of direction demands. And that's really what it's based on. And like recently I was with a couple clubs and it can go so deep. Like I could literally spend weeks on end going over stuff with people, but it, that's why it helps me if the people who hire me say, this is what we're looking for. Otherwise I might give them stuff. They're like, yeah, we didn't really need that. I'm like, well, you right. should have told me that before <laughs> I started.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's so, cool. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. cool. It's just it's fun
0: to see you doing it and see that there is a market for that because again, I think as our industry grows as it evolves and as we age through the industry, you know, like you always have to think about okay, what is going to be my next step, you know, yeah. 10, 15, 20 years down the line. So, yeah. it's just really interesting and it's cool to see your evolution over the years. So,
1: yeah, and 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 also I'll let you get into that, but I think it's your responsibility To eventually, and you're doing already, but even more. It's your responsibility to help the profession grow and get better. And you can't do that when you're training in your facility most of the time. You have and that was one thing I came to the revelation because I would get frustrated with how speed and how training was being delivered. And I knew I couldn't impact it by sitting in my speed academy every day for 10 hours a day. I had to be able to get out there. So I think it's a responsibility that all of us at some point the kid who's 23 years old in 30 years needs to be teaching the next 23 year old yeah i love it number
0: three what's one thing you would tell a young coach not to do who wants to make his or her athletes faster
1: so i think the one thing that i don't want them to do is become reliant on teaching of drills Mm -hmm. Um, i want them to be able to evaluate the movement that they're after, you and I used an example earlier of a basketball player playing defense, right? Well, I can I can throw 40 drills at them, but it's, it's the context of the movement. So a drill has to be a conduit to the end result of the skill that you're trying to improve. So I think the one thing I want them to do is become reliant on just – getting really good at teaching drills i want them to be able to teach the drill appropriately but in the context of how is it actually going to help the athlete improve one of those seven movement patterns of speed or six or seven movement patterns of strength
0: gotcha i love it okay last but not least number four what's next for lee taft man other than the move what's what do you got working on what are you excited about anything
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So I I think one of the big things that I really want to do is I want to make sure that I um, expand on a topic that I'm real passionate about, and it's called the reactive tier system. Mm. Now, you've heard of it, and a lot of people have heard of it. But I've never actually been able to share the whole thing because there's a lot to it because it encompasses all the stuff we've kind of talked about today and a lot more. So it has to do with neuroscience. It has to do with how we read movement. It has to do with using a tier one, two, tier two, or tier three based on what we're trying to improve. And so that's probably the area that I'm trying to dial in more. And speaking of consulting, I think that's an area that facilities will hopefully start to buy into is how they can use it to make sure their athletes are training how they should be responding to their environment and using drills to fix a potential flaw or low functioning pattern. Hmm. So the reactive tier system is kind of the big nugget right now that I'm trying to refine a little bit. And I'm not rushing with it because I want to make sure I cover the things that I want, but that's probably the big thing coming up the, up the pipeline. I love it.
0: I love it. And when that's done, what we'll do since you'll live in Florida, we'll have you come up here. You can do like a two day deal or however many days it takes. And it's immediately going to be more exciting because now you're from out of state.
1: That's right. right.
0: It doesn't matter that you've lived here forever.
1: It's just now
0: you're out of state and people will want to come see you because that's how it works. If you're local, you must not know what you're talking about.
1: So You got it, 100%. (laughs) Well,
0: Lee, you've been awesome today, my friend. It's always great catching up with you. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on?
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate having me on. So yeah, if they go to leetaff.com, they can find anything online with us. And then at LeeTAF just yeah, I'm always available. I reach out to everybody as soon as I can.
0: Perfect. Well, Lee, thanks again for coming on, man. It was so great catching up with you today.
1: Uh, Likewise, Mike. I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Lee. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. We were joking around before the show and I said, if I can go more than 100 shows and not have you on, like I am doing something wrong because Lee has so much to give to our industry. He's such a wealth of information and he's so passionate about what he does. I truly enjoy every episode that we've done together. So with that being said, I've got one of two asks for you. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, take three seconds out of your day and do that now. Whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever platform you prefer, you can find the show on there. Make sure you subscribe so that you get a weekly update as to what's going on and you're going to get new information that's going to make you a better trainer or coach delivered fresh to your inbox. Number two, if you're already subscribed, much appreciated. Go one extra step for me go to iTunes and give me a ranking and a review. Rankings and reviews make a huge impact on new people getting exposed to the show. And, you know, if I'm just putting this from a selfish perspective, I love knowing and getting feedback from the show that people are enjoying it and that they're getting something out of it. So my friend, that does it for this week. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.